my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Isn't that one of our favorite verses? We're always excited about that. You know, we're faced with that opportunity every morning, aren't we? Some mornings more than others. This morning, I, I got up and I look outside and I said, Man, I love cloudy, rainy days. And then I, I looked out again and I said, I especially love cloudy, rainy days when it doesn't rain. And it didn't rain, and I thought, wow, this is going to be so great, Lord. And I got up, and I put my Bible in my saddlebag, and I climbed on the bike, and it started raining. <laughs> but we counted all joy. It was a great ride in. You know, the rain has a way of just washing everything clean, don't it? I just love the way it smells after the rain, during the rain. I just try not to concentrate on how hard the raindrops hit you when you're driving down the road. Now, uh, uh, folks with a decent mind, they can get a car and the rain don't touch you at all. <laughs> we'll have to work on that one. But today we want to consider that concept. Count it all joy. How many times have we wondered when we're going through a difficult time, we're going through a struggle, have you ever thought, well, how do I know whether or not this is from the devil attacking me or, or, or if it's from God and he's trying to, to work something in me? How do you tell the difference? Well, I'm going to give you a great news today, and that is it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It's all in how you look at the struggle you're facing. You guys remember Joseph. In the book of, of Genesis, he was, you know, dad's favorite son, and his brothers all hated him. They sold him into slavery. Then he rises to the, to the top, cream of the crop of, of the slaves, and he comes to a place of honor, and then he's, he's charged with something that he didn't do, Potiphar's wife says, hey, he came on to me, and so he ends up in prison. While he's in prison, he rises to the top of prison, and the, and the guards are all thinking, man, Joseph, he's all right, he's a good guy, and he's, he's kind of getting, uh, well, as good a treatment as you can get in prison. Things are working out for him. He interprets two guys' dreams, and they're both going to be right next to Pharaoh, and he thinks one of them will tell Pharaoh about me, and they'll get me out of here. But they never did. He spent 13 years of his life up and down, trial, tribulation. But you know what you see in Joseph's life? You read about it in Genesis chapter 50. After Joseph came to power, after his father had died and his brother sought, now that dad's dead, Joseph's going to get us. He's going to get us for all those things that we did to him. And they came to Joseph, and Joseph, we're sorry, will you forgive us? And Joseph looked at them and said, listen guys, what you intended for evil, God meant for good. That's how we look at our struggles. What the enemy brings to try to destroy us, God uses to help us grow. Isn't that what, what Paul would write for us in Romans chapter 8? 828, right? We like that one, don't we? For we think? No. What is it? For we know all things work together for good to, to the call, 
to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Not most things, not some things, all things. It's all in our perspective. That's why James said, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Don't let your your vision get cloudy. Don't let your eyes begin to lie to you and say, well, if God really loved me, I wouldn't be going through this. Because what the enemy means to destroy you, God means to make you stronger. And we see such a great example of it in John chapter 11. Would you turn with me? John chapter 11 is where we find ourselves as as we're going through the gospel of John. And in John chapter 11, we're going to see that even Jesus' friends are not immune to difficult circumstances. Even people that Jesus loved are going to face struggle. Let's look. John 11 verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Lazarus is sick, and it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with that fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. They sent Jesus a letter. The message came to Jesus, he who you love is sick. Now that word love is interesting. That word love is the word phileo. Have you ever thought, well, yeah, you know, my mom loves me because she's my mom. She has to love me. But she doesn't really like me. You ever felt that way? No, there's no kids in here, so there's nobody going, yeah, oh, yeah. (laughs) Sometimes, have you ever felt that way with God? God loves me. I know God loves me. I mean, God's love, but does God really like me? Well, when they're writing this, they're saying in phileo, they're saying the one who is your friend. Not just the one that you love, but the one that is your friend. Jesus would say to his disciples, no longer do I call you servants, I call you friends. I like you. The God, can you imagine, the God of all the universe, the God that is love, the God that created everything. Can you imagine that you are his friend, that he cares about what happens to you. Well, that's what they're saying. Hey, the one whom you love, the one that is your friend, he is sick. And so when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified in it. This verse, folks, we really got to get down into our heart. We really got to wrap our arms around it and realize that what he's saying is, this sickness is not permanent. Do you realize, nothing we face on this earth is permanent. It feels hard. It doesn't change the fact that our hearts break. It doesn't change the fact that they're difficult. But what Jesus is saying, it's not unto death, because death is permanent. When Jesus talks about someone being dead, what does he say? They are what? Sleeping. Why? Because it's not permanent. When he talks about separation from God, he talks about death. Why? That's permanent. So he's saying this sickness is not unto death. It's not permanent. Folks, when we face trials and hard times and difficulties, one of the things you have to hold on to is this is not permanent. 
This isn't it. That's what Jesus is saying. But he says, but so that the glory of God would be revealed. So that the Son of God would be glorified. You see, sometimes the trials that the enemy means to destroy us, God says, watch, in the way that my servant, my friend, deals with this trial or with this situation, watch how God is glorified in his conduct. Watch how God is glorified in the fact that he never gives up. That he doesn't quit, but that he's still standing up. Isn't that what we saw in the story of Job? I mean, Job, everything that went wrong could have gone wrong. Was it permanent? No, it's not permanent. The only thing that's permanent is when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we will permanently be with him forever. That's permanent. Everything else isn't. And so we want to first grasp that, get that mindset. It's not permanent. It's not unto death. And then in verse 5, just in case we didn't believe it, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That word love is agapeo. Jesus loved them with a self-sacrificing love. And you know what I like about what Jesus said? How many of you guys know that Martha gets a bum rap? Nobody? Man, Martha gets hammered all the time, doesn't she? Like, for example, when Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, where she should have been, and Martha's working, and we all say, don't be like Martha, be like Mary. And they called Bethany. You know what they called Bethany? The city of Mary. And when artists, we get together and, and draw things and paint things, do, does anybody paint Martha? Nobody paints Martha. But what did Jesus say? Jesus loved Martha and her sister. What's her name? Mary. Isn't that cool how Jesus would do that? How, how God would, would inspire John to make sure Martha knows, I love her. Because, you know, in a body, we need Mary's and Martha's, don't we? Because if all we had was Mary's, nothing's going to get done. We need Martha's that are willing to work, willing to serve, willing to do uh, the, the things that God has laid out for them. And we need Mary's to, to draw Martha to worship. So she doesn't stay too busy. I love that God takes the time to say, I love Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days. Now that doesn't make sense. I thought God just said he loved them. He knows he's sick. Why did he stay? Why does he stay? Why does God say no to the prayers we pray? If, if all us guys were faithful... And, and true and honest. And I said, what, what girl were you praying for in the fifth grade? It's probably not the one you're married to. You're probably happy. God said no. Maybe you went to the reunion and said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> that God said no. But listen, God's delays are not denials. God is never late. And probably every one of us have experienced that hope and prayer and desire that God would show up, you know, right at the last minute. But sometimes he's 10 minutes after that. Sometimes he's two weeks after that. But he's exactly perfect in his timing. He's exactly perfect in his timing. And the question is, do you trust him? 
Because not only does God love you with a self-sacrificing love, but you're his friend. And Peter, inspired of the Holy Spirit, wrote, cast your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. The Lord would say in Jeremiah 29, 11, right? I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a what? Future and a hope. That's God's desire, isn't it? For all of us. But in all the struggles of life, in all the trials, in all the tribulations, he told James to write, count it all joy. Because sometimes when I'm late, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work out for greater glory to the Father. People are going to get saved. Like today. Like at this time with Lazarus. He delayed two days in the place where he was. And after this, he said to his disciples, Okay, let's go to Judea. So the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And, and you're going to go back there again? They want to kill you. The disciples, they're afraid. Hey, they wanted to kill you. They tried to stone you like three times the last time you were there. Why would you go back? Why would you go to that place? Look what Jesus said. Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. Jesus is saying to his disciples, it's not time yet. It's still day. The night's coming. Folks, the day tells us that the night is coming, doesn't it? But Jesus is saying here, you focus on this. It's still day. It's not night. It's not time yet for that, for that darkest hour in human history. It's not the night. It's the day. And while it's the day, we're going to shine the light. We're going to shine forth. We're going to move forward. Jesus trusted himself in the hands of his Father. And if it wasn't time, he didn't have to be afraid. But if anyone walks in the night, he says, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Guys, it's daytime. For you and me, guess what? Night's coming. Night's coming. But right now, night's not here. It's the day. We have 12 hours. We have a time. There's a period of time that God gives each and every one of us to be his witness, doesn't he? And some of us have more time, some of us have less. The question is, will you be faithful with your 12 hours? Will you be faithful with the time that God gives you to bear witness, even though you may be afraid, to go right back into that den of lions and bear witness to Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus did. And these things, he said, and after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps. Why do you say sleep? Because it's temporary. But I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. What they're saying is, hey, hey, if he's asleep, don't worry about it. Let's just stay here. But Jesus is going to explain it to them. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Jesus said to the disciples, and I was glad I wasn't there. Because of the effect it's going to have on his disciples. Now listen, a miracle will never establish faith. But faith will 
grow, will sprout, will blossom in a miracle. The faith comes by what? By miracles? What's the Bible say? Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Faith comes when we believe what Jesus said. And then when we see it with our eyes, wow, we're established, we're strengthened. And God is able to glorify. So, verse 16, I love this verse. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Remember I told you Martha gets a bum rap? I think Thomas gets a bum rap sometimes too. What do we call Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Because, because that one instance in his life when he, would, he missed the meeting and Jesus showed up. And he said, oh, I'm not going to believe unless I can touch it, unless I can see. So we remember Thomas's doubting Thomas. We all forget that at one time when Jesus and all the other disciples were saying, don't go, what did Thomas say? Let's go die with him. I like what John Corson says. John Corson says that, that the reason Thomas missed the meeting is because he was walking around in Jerusalem, you know, saying, hey, here I am, here I am. Who's going to kill me too? I want to die with him. Maybe. He was called Thomas the twin, not because he had a twin brother. Why? Because he looked so much like Jesus. Interesting. So Thomas here says, hey, let's go. Let's go with him. I'm ready to die with him. I'm ready to die uh, in his service. And so in verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. For four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, based on what we know about Martha's personality, most people assume that she was disappointed that God hadn't come. That it was after that final hour and he had died anyway. Maybe she had sat there with her friends and said, hey, I sent a message to Jesus and we're his friends and he's going to show up. Maybe some of us have experienced the same thing. Maybe we've prayed over and over again for God to deliver, for God to bring a healing, for God to do His perfect work, and then it comes to the end, and, and this one whom we love, we lost anyway. Do we feel like Martha sometimes? Ah, oh, Lord, if you'd have been here, if you'd have been here, He wouldn't have died. But I will never sorrow for that one. Because that one received the greatest healing of all. Close their eyes in this dark place and open them to the glory of Jesus Christ. Because he went to sleep. It's not permanent. Temporary. It's a period of transition to close your eyes to this world and open your eyes in the next. Jesus called them home. But in this case, God had something else planned. Mary, she's, or Martha, she's feeling maybe a little bit upset, maybe a little disappointed. If we were honest, most of us at one time or another have felt disappointed with God. God, why? God, why? But what did James say? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. 
Because you know that those trials will work in you, what? Patience. And let patience have its perfect work. That you may be complete, what? Lacking no thing. So what the enemy means to destroy you, God means to equip you. Count it all joy. Trust him. Put your faith in him. Oh, look what happens. Martha, she's disappointed with him. And Jesus said to her, or I'm sorry, in verse 22, but even now I know, look at this faith. Nobody ever points to this when they talk about Martha. Even now I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Isn't that incredible? You know what Martha is saying? Martha is saying, Lord, I am disappointed. Lord, I am bummed. But Lord, I still believe. That's okay. It is okay to be in that place. As long as we have that last part. Lord, I don't understand, but I still believe. I still trust you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know, Lord, that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. She knew the scriptures. She trusted the scriptures. She said, I know. I know. I still believe. Things didn't work out like I wanted, but I still believe. Do you realize when a believer is in that place, what can the world do to you to rip you off? What can extinguish the flame that is burning in your heart, the light that Jesus has placed in your life, when you're willing to say, I'm not happy about what happened, but I still believe. You're telling the devil, get out of here, it's not going to work. Go mess with somebody else because I'm, I'm standing with the Lord. I'm standing with Jesus. That's what Martha's saying. She's not happy. She's not happy, but I still believe. I know he'll rise in that last day. And Jesus said to her, I am everything you need. Remember I shared with you in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses said, Who shall I say is sent to me, God? God said to Moses, I am that I am. Literally, I am the becoming one. What is he saying? I am whatever you need. What did Martha need? A resurrection. So what was Jesus? I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus declaring to us, who God is. It's the ego I me statement. The I am that I am. Jesus attributing himself to almighty God again. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. I've never been to a funeral where that scripture wasn't shared. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. It's not permanent. That's why Paul would write, we don't mourn as those who have no hope. We don't sorrow as those who have no hope. Why? Because our hope is Jesus Christ. We go to sleep here. We wake up with Him and we're with Him forever. And from that moment on, you will never again ever have to say goodbye. Never again. You know what you get to say? Hello? Hello? There was a period of time at Joshua Springs where we felt like God was taking us one at a time. 
And we were crying out, Lord, we don't want to go one at a time. Just call us all home together. Well, it's not always part of God's plan. I remember when Cindy went home to be with the Lord. We had her, her service, and, and it was hard, you know, because the whole body we had, I believe, everywhere in the church. We were believing for a healing. We're praying for a healing that God's going to do His thing. And we're praying and we're hoping and we're, we're putting our faith and trust. And God took Cindy home anyway. And we started singing, I still believe. And at her service, we, we, had to, we filled up the whole big sanctuary and the sanctuary next door. Over a thousand people came. And in that thousand people that came, I almost would say hundreds but I at least know of several who got saved specifically as a result of what her life was all about. And you know in your heart that the same thing is true for Brent. Jesus said, I am everything you need. I am the resurrection and the life. Look what he says to her next. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. What's he saying? Remember I said when Jesus uses the word death, what's he talking about? Permanence. He's not going to die. What did Lazarus do? He fell asleep. And you know in this whole deal, folks, you know who gets the, the, the short stick? Lazarus. Don't he? Why, well, he's in heaven. Woohoo! And all of a sudden he hears Jesus, Lazarus, oh man. (laughs) So he says, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Look what Martha says. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the son of God who is to come into the world. She's disappointed and her heart is broken, but she still believes. Isn't that awesome? Well, he goes on. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, and said, The teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into town, but he was in the same place where Martha had met him. And the Jews who were in her house comforting her, when they saw Mary rise up quickly and went out, they followed her, saying, She's going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same exact words. Do you know that the rain falls on the evil and the good? On the servant and the worshiper? But you know what's beautiful about Mary's example? In pastoring, I've had the opportunity to see folks in bad times coming up to the altar, weeping at the altar, putting their life in God's hands, crying out for God to save them. We've probably all seen that at one time or another. But you know what else I've seen in the good times? I can't find them anymore. But where do we see Mary? In the good times, she was at Jesus' feet. In the bad times, where was she? At Jesus' feet. Consistent. That's what what our walk is all about. 
consistent. Man, I want to be at Jesus' feet in a good time. I want to be worshiping when things are great. I want to worship when things are horrible. I want to worship God because the only hope I have, the only hope that there is, is Him. There's no hope anywhere else. And so Mary, she's at His feet saying the same words. Is her heart broke any less than Martha's? No. It's the same. It's the same. Her heart is broken too, and she comes to the Lord. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Listen, this is kind of cool. When Jesus saw them weeping, that word for weeping means they're wailing. They're making a lot of noise, a lot of racket. Their hearts are broken. They miss the one whom they love. And, and Jesus, as he looks at all this, the Bible says he groaned in his spirit. That word groaned is the same word used of a war horse that's snorting before he goes into battle. He groans in his spirit. Why is he groaning in his spirit? Because I promise you, God hates the fact that death reigns here. When God created Adam, was it temporary? Did he just want to have a relationship with Adam for a little while until he died? God wanted a relationship with Adam forever. That's why he told him, you obey my word, believe me. But Adam declared his independence on the day that he ate of the fruit. He said to God, I don't need you to tell me good from evil. I'll decide everything for myself. And on that day, death entered in and he's been a part of life here ever since. And I promise you, at that moment when Jesus was at the tomb, he was ready to do away with death. Wasn't time yet. That time came. But he's snorting in his spirit. He's groaning in his spirit because he's ready to wipe away this thing that ruins people's lives. Death wasn't God's plan. Death came as a result of man's sin. God's desire is that man would live forever by putting his faith and trust in him. And so he's, he's groaning. He groans in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And the shortest verse in English in the Bible, Jesus wept. Just in case you ever play Bible trivia, the shortest verse in Greek, rejoice Always. Funny, huh? Jesus wept. This word for Jesus wept, it's just that quiet, compassionate cry. He cried. They interpreted it to mean he cried because he was missing his friend. But he's crying not about that. He's crying about what sin has done to mankind. How sin has distorted and destroyed all that God ever intended for good. And he's crying because he, he, he has that compassion for the loss. Do you honestly think when a mother loses her child, God doesn't weep for her? God was weeping for Lazarus. He had compassion. But what the enemy means to destroy, God intends for good, to strengthen. Because in God's point of view, the child is okay. He came home. He came home. 
and the view that God has, folks, for us, he wants to make sure every one of his children make it home safe. But God has compassion on you and I. What we feel, Jesus felt. What's it say in Hebrews? It says in Hebrews that we have a high priest like unto us who knows what it's like to be where we've been, to feel what we've felt, to weep, to cry, to feel alone, to feel rejected, to feel like nobody cares. But you don't think Jesus felt that way? Then why from the cross did he declare, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We felt that way. Jesus felt that way too. That's why he is the greatest high priest of all. Why? Because he has, what? Compassion for us. Jesus wept. Now he knows Lazarus is about to get up. So he's not crying because of the loss. But he is crying about the cost. What sin costs the world. For God so loved who? The world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved them. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have also kept this man from dying? Listen, what you don't understand and what they're saying is, Couldn't this man, this contender for the Mashiach, this contender as Messiah, couldn't this one who who said he was the Son of God, couldn't he have stopped him from dying? They're about to see. They're about to see the power of what God can do, the, the power of how God can move within a life. And Jesus again groaning in himself oh you know feeling that pain for all these things that are going on he came to the tomb and it was a cave and a stone laid against it and jesus said take away the stone and martha said what lord he in the king james stinketh he's been in the grave in the tomb four days Decomposition has already begun. The Jews had this belief that the Spirit would hover over the body. It's not in the Bible. It's just their legend. It would hover over the body for three days, and on the fourth day it would leave. So God waited four days so that they would know in their superstition, Spirit's not there. Jesus knew, right? To be absent from the body is what? Be present with the Lord. Jesus knows where Lazarus is. Maybe he's crying for Lazarus. I'd be crying for him. Jesus said, again, uh, Mary, the sister of him who was dead, said he stinks. He's been dead four days. And Jesus said, did I not say to you, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Now, how do I know Martha believed? Next verse. They took away the stone. They took away the stone. Obedience. Obedience is the fruit of belief, isn't it? If 
you say, I believe that this pew is not going to fall over, so I'll sit in it. When you sat in it, I know you believed. Right? So here, Martha rolls away the stone. Look what happens. They roll away the stone, and the father, or Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I have said this, that they might believe that you sent me. So he prays out loud so that everybody can hear what he's doing. And then when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. People say he had to say Lazarus, right? If he just said, come forth, everybody would come out the grave. He said, Lazarus, Lazarus. I think Carmen has a song about this, about Lazarus getting called. Hearing the voice of his Savior calling unto him. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Well, what does this have to do with us? Are we not dead in our trespasses and sins? And Jesus has made us alive in him? The same work that he did for Lazarus, he does for us in salvation. The same work he did there, he does in us. We, who are separated from God by our sin, he has removed that sin as far as the east is from the west. He takes it away. We put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And He makes us alive. Well, prior to that, Jesus said, you're dead already. You just don't know it. But when you come to Christ, now you are alive. And so, many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did, believed on Him. Why? I would guess. Don't you think? I mean, uh, I was here when they put him in the ground, and I smelled the smell when they moved the stone away. But when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, all that was done. All that was over. And Lazarus comes out. How did he get out? I mean, he's wrapped up like a mummy. They didn't wrap the legs separate. All bound up together. But it says Lazarus came forth. How did he come out? Jesus had to say what? Go loose him. Go take that stuff off him. For he is no longer dead. He is alive. He is alive. You remember the prodigal son? When the prodigal son was returning home and the father seen him a ways off and he ran to him and he threw his cloak around him. What did he say? My son who was dead is now alive. But even more than that, you know, Jesus told a parable in the Gospel of Luke. He told us, well, not really a parable, a story about another Lazarus. Rich man in Lazarus. Lazarus was poor beggar. Spent his whole life as a beggar. He died, went to Abraham's bosom. In essence, he goes to heaven. The rich man who the beggar sat outside his gate his whole life, who threw his scraps to his dogs and the beggar would get some of it, he also died. He didn't go to heaven. Jesus said they're separated by a gulf. And the rich man, God didn't know his name, 
The rich man called over to Lazarus and said, Lazarus, dip your finger in some water and cool my tongue in this torment that I'm in. And Abraham, who was also there, he said, you know Lazarus can't come to you. There's a big gulf separating us. And the rich man said, then have Lazarus go back. Have him rise from the dead and go tell my brothers so that they don't come to this place. And Abraham said, your brothers have the law and the prophets. If they won't believe the word, neither will they believe even if one would rise from the dead. Miracle doesn't provide faith. It just shines a light on it. But those who did not believe the word still don't believe. Look what happens. Some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus did. Oh, you'll never believe what this guy who's been healing the lame and making the blind to see and the deaf to hear. You'll never believe what he did now. He's raising the dead. Well, I guess we ought to kill him then. I mean, that's logical, right? But Jesus said, Jesus told us that the world hates him. It's at enmity with God. That means the world is at war with God. This world, this world is in the possession, in the hands of Satan. We were given the world, we turned around and gave it to Satan. He's been the God of this place ever since. Prince in the power of the air. But Jesus is coming back to take what is his. He is. But he's always at war with the world. And those who belong to the world, they're always going to hate what Jesus does. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, Well, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. Well, we don't want that. What a horrible thing if everybody believed that this one who raised the dead, who opened the eyes of the blind, who made the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, who cleansed the lepers, who declared to us that he was God manifest in the flesh. We don't want anybody to believe in him. But you see their motives, don't you? Look at their motives. For if everyone believes in him, the Romans will come and take away what? Our place and our nation. That was their big fear. Do you know that the fear of man always leads to a snare, but the fear of God, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom? What does that mean? Listen, by their fear, they reject, for the last time, they're going to reject Jesus yet again. And as they reject Him yet again, they seal their fate, don't they? For Jesus would say, because they did not know the time of their visitation, Because they did not know what Daniel wrote in Daniel chapter 9, the exact day Jesus would enter into Jerusalem, Jesus said, your enemies are going to set up walls all around you. They're going to not leave one stone upon another. It's all going to be destroyed in their place and their nation with it. For the next 2,000 years, Israel would cease to be a nation altogether. And God would enter into the time of the church moving forward and ministering to us through the power of His Spirit. Verse 49, One of them, Caiaphas being the high priest that year, he said to them, 
Well, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not the whole nation should perish. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? That one man would die for the people. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Listen, guys, he used the word in the Greek. He used these words. Do you not consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die instead of the people so that the whole nation would not perish? That he would die substitutionary death for all of mankind. He didn't even know what he's saying. He didn't believe. But because he's high priest, he has that office. God gives him these words. Boop, they just come out of his mouth. Everybody thinks he's talking about, yeah, let's get rid of that guy so we can maintain power and control. But what he really meant was that Jesus Christ would die for the sins of the whole world. And look at verse 52. Not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Guess what? That's us. He would gather in one. He tore down the wall of separation. There's no more Jew or Gentile. More, no more barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, man or woman. For God has gathered in one, in Christ Jesus. He's gathered us all together in one. His body, the church. Together. All who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Well, from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Well, that makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? Well, it does make all the sense in the world. Because if you sit and turn on the news, we do dumb stuff like that all the time. Don't we? I got an idea. You know, I, I lost $800 billion. So, could I just get a bailout? I don't know. When my taxes are due... If I don't have the money and I say, hey, I owe like 40 bucks, can I get a bailout? <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> Apparently, you can only be bailed out if the number has six to nine zeros at the end. If it doesn't have that many, you're not in for a bailout. Well, that makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? Sure. Makes all the sense in this dumb place. It does. But in Christ, there's so much more. So much more. They sought to kill him from that day forward. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim. And there he remained with his disciples. He went 15 miles away. Now the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And they sought Jesus, and they spoke among themselves. As they stood in the temple, what do you think? That he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, that they might seize him. That Passover, in the next ten chapters, we're walking to the cross. That's the Passover. Where Jesus is going to present Himself, be examined, just like a lamb, be declared righteous, and killed anyway. 
just like the Lamb, that He might pay the price for all man's sins. He's waiting 15 miles away. But soon He's going to say to His disciples, the day has come. My final hour. And John is going to focus more time on the last 48 hours of Jesus' life than he did on the first 32 and two-thirds years. And he's going to do that because of this. In that last 48 hours, Jesus is going to experience every heartache that you'll ever feel. He's going to experience every sorrow, every pain, everything. And John wants us to realize what James told us was true. Count it all joy. For by that, He made us alive in Christ Jesus. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank You so much, Father, for this opportunity that we have. We thank You for the truth of Your Word. And even though it pains us, and even though these trials and these tribulations and these issues that we face, Father, they they cause us worry and concern. Lord, You tell us, cast our cares on You, and You'll care for us. You tell us, I've been there before. I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, and I will go with you. You tell us, I will never leave you or forsake you. You tell us, it's only temporary. Uh, That's the best news of all, Lord. This place is not my home. My place is to be in your presence forever. The day I put my faith and trust in you, you opened that door. And you keep it open. For as you said, I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. And we put our faith and trust in you. For you are worthy You are worthy to be praised for what you have accomplished in us. For though we were dead in trespasses and sin, just like Lazarus, you have called us to life again as we put our faith and our trust in you. This morning as we come before you, Father, we just want to take a moment. We just want to take a second, Lord, and just provide an opportunity. If there's anybody here who has not made that that proclamation, Lord, I believe. I put my faith and trust in You. Scriptures say that today is the day of salvation. Father, we just want to take a moment while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, no effort to, to embarrass anyone. Just this is the Lord looking down, seeing your heart. There's anybody here today that wants to say to him, I believe. And we ask you 
this morning to just slip up your hand. And God in heaven who is watching, He also will see. If there's anybody here, I see you, sister. God bless you. I see you, brother. Lord bless you. Lord bless you, brother, in the back. There's lots of folk. As you raise your hand and you make that public proclamation, we just invite you, if we would join together as a body and just pray together with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your sacrifice upon the cross. And Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that you died for my sin and rose again on the third day. Today I give you my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Help me to walk with you all the days of my life. Give me eyes to see that every trial is you working in my life. And may I live to glorify you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to have a time of worship. Again, invite the, the prayer counselors to come on up. If there's anybody here this morning... I know probably got places to be and things to do, but there's nothing more important than uh, just laying your cares before Jesus Christ. So as the prayer counselors are here, if there's anything that you'd like to pray about, we want to invite you to come forward and pray. Um, God bless you and go in peace.